Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. as we sing. I was buried beneath my shame. That's right. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was mine too, till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. Not alive, Lord. All my failures I've tried to hide. It was mine too. Jesus, till I met you, you called my name, and I ran out of that grave, you gave the darkness into your glorious day, you called my name, and I Your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know, that I know, Lord. The old made new, uh, Jesus, when I met you, you called my name, and I My sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open. 
What a glorious day. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome. Thank you for joining us here in person and online. We welcome you here today. I wanted to draw attention to our connection card. You'll find a gray connection card in your bulletin. If you would pull that out for us this morning, we would ask that you would fill that gray connection card out for us this morning. It's just a way for us to keep in touch with you and to have an open way of communication. Online, you will have a connection link that our host will be posting in the chat. We also want to mention if you are new with us this morning, you can text hello to 717-872-5679. That is the church phone number. We promise we won't spam you or anything of that nature. It's just a way for us to welcome you as a guest and to, again, start that open line of communication. Today, we are going to be looking at part eight of our sermon series, A Fully Devoted Life, and I'm really excited about this one. We're going to be talking about a man who gets up and he leaves everything. Christ calls him to come and to follow him. Christ talks about a specific teaching, how he would like to sit with those who are unhealthy rather than those who are healthy. And I'm not talking about like the cold or flu type unhealthy. I'm talking about sin. Christ would rather come and sit with us who have sin in our life, have things that are holding us hostage, and what Christ did with this man is he came and he sat with him. I know that uh, Christ, he, he came and he sat with me. He came and sat with me in my sin. And he continues to come and sit with me. I know that he will make a way for each and every one of us. He continues to make that way. And because of the way that he made for this man that we're going to later talk about, he will make a way for each and every one of us. We're going to sing about that way this morning, so I ask you to join us in standing as we sing about my Jesus. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause the shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah, amen, amen. 
tears of broken dreams and wasted years until the past to disappear. Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus and all the wrong turns that you would go and undo if you could. Who could work it off for your good? Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And let about me let me tell you about my Jesus oh he makes a way where there ain't no way rises up from an empty grave ain't no sinner that he can save let me tell you about my Jesus his love is strong and his grace is free and the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me let me tell you about my Jesus. Let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Has he changed your life? Has he changed your life today? I hope he has. I hope he continues to make that way for you. And if you feel like you don't have that way yet, I hope that today that you can be open to his way, the way that he has for you. In gratitude, we're gonna sing this next song. We're gonna praise him with words. But sometimes words might be few, and all we might have is just a simple hallelujah. Sometimes we might be walking in a really dark season, and other times we might be on the other side where things are really, really bright. But no matter what, Jesus can make a way. He can make a way for us. So let's sing about that. Let's sing about his name today. For sure, I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, 
but every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, cause all that I have is a hallelujah, Except for hearts singing hallelujah, hallelujah. I've got one response, I've got just one move. With my arms stretched wide, I will worship you. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah. Enough. Yeah, for hearts singing hallelujah, hallelujah. So come on, my soul. That's right. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Oh, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs.
So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah, I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Cause I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Your name is power Your name is healing Your sound great. Jesus, for my family, I speak the holy name. The holy name, Lord. Jesus. That's your name. Amen. Come on, sing it with me. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Shout Jesus from the mountains. And Jesus in the streets. Come on, y'all. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. 
Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name, Jesus. Let us hear you speak his name. Shout Jesus in the mountains and Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over We speak your name. We speak your name because we know that there is power in healing. There is life. God, we know that you are here today. You are present. You have made that known. Lord, let us go about continuing our time in worship now as we study the word, as Pastor Jerry brings forth this message on a fully devoted life through Christ. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a family, a family here today, because we are family. Lord, have your will in your way in this place. In your precious name, amen. You may be seated. I just want to say good morning and thank you, worship team, for, again, just reflecting on the words of that song. I mean, imagine what it would be like in our culture, our community, our lives, if we really would embody, that is, speak the name of Jesus into so many situations, so many difficulties. And really, that just sets us up perfectly for this morning's message, because what I want to suggest to you this morning is before we can correctly interpret another person's actions, in other words, before we can truly understand what they're trying to do, we need to know their intentions. We need to know what they're trying to accomplish. So, for example, when we come to the life of Jesus, when we think about his miracles, when we think about his teaching, when we think about his interactions with others, his choices, his priorities, the only way we can understand all those things is to know his goal, to know what it was he was trying to accomplish. 
Because one thing's for certain, at least in my study of God's Word, one thing is for certain, and that is Jesus wasn't just making it up as he went along. Jesus clearly had a goal. He clearly had a purpose. He clearly had a mission for his life and for his actions. And today, what I want to do is I want to look at that mission. I want to look at that purpose, that goal of his life, because I believe when we do, what we quickly discover is that his goal, his mission expressed itself in a very specific, in a very tangible way. And what's also clear as we look at the New Testament, specifically the life and the teaching of Jesus, is that he wants you and I to express our devotion to God in the exact same way, in that same kind of goal, and that same kind of mission. And so there are many, many places we can go in, in the Gospels, specifically in the New Testament in general, that help us to see that mission, that purpose. But I believe there is no place clearer to go than Jesus' interaction with a man by the name of Levi, who some of you know, most of you know, was a tax collector by profession. And, and for us to be able to appreciate the interaction, the meeting of Jesus with this man, we need to know a few things about Jewish tax collectors. And here's the first thing we need to know. They were very unpopular people, which probably isn't a stretch for any of us as we think about tax collectors today. But especially in that day, tax collectors were not popular people. In fact, I'll go one step further. When you go back and look at it, folks, they were despised and hated outcasts in Jewish society. And the reason why, folks, was because they were seen as thieves and as traitors to the Jewish people. Let me go with that, the second one first. They were seen as thieves because the reality is they, Jewish tax collectors, were in fact Jews. And so what the other Jews saw them doing was fleecing their fellow citizens on behalf of Rome. And they were seen as traitors because what was going on is that the Jewish uh, tax collectors worked in a Roman tax system that was totally corrupt. And what I mean by that is the Jewish people, the Jewish tax collectors were under the Roman law and Roman law required a certain amount of tax to be collected, just like today. But here's the thing that was different about then and now. Jewish tax collectors were allowed to, to collect anything they could above and beyond the set amount. As long as they didn't cause a riot, as long as they didn't cause an uprising, Jew, or the, the Rome would turn a blind eye to the tax, the amount of tax that was collected. And so in a very real sense, when you think about a Jewish tax collector, think about a, a mafia enforcer. That was more accurate to what was going on than actually being a tax collector, as we understand, an IRS agent today. And because of those two realities, being seen as traitors and thieves, Three things happened all the time. The first thing that happened was a Jewish tax collector's family would disown him. They, they would completely disavow the man. The second thing would happen is they were not allowed to worship in the Jewish synagogue. They were not allowed to be a part of that community, that place of God's word and God's people. And finally, they were relegated in society to a caste or a group of people that really were seen as worse than murderers themselves. I mean, really, there was no one lower on the Jewish social totem pole than a tax collector. Now, I want you to hold that cultural reality in mind as we go to this exchange, this meeting of Jesus with this man that we know as Levi, later is Matthew. Here's what we read in Luke chapter 5. Here's what the text tells us. After this, they went out and saw a man named Levi as he was working collecting taxes. Jesus said, come along with me. And he did, walking away from everything and went with him. Later, Levi gave a large generous home for Jesus. Everybody was there 
taxmen, and other disreputable characters as guests at the party. The Pharisees and the religious scholars came to the, his disciples greatly offended. What is he doing, eating and drinking with crooks and sinners? Jesus heard about it and spoke up. He asked, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. And so what I want you to notice is in Jesus' encounter with Levi, he left little, in fact, no room for doubt about the full focus of his devotion for God and ultimately his mission in life. Because Jesus clearly stated to the religious leaders, to those who are listening, he clearly stated that his mission, the focus, the goal of his full devotion to God was to bring those not in relationship with God back into relationship with God. And he meant to do that no matter what they had done, no matter what that individual had become, and no matter what anyone else thought about that individual. Jesus said, I am here to seek and to save the lost. And folks, we are familiar with that message. We are familiar with that mission. But I need you to understand that was an incredible, radical mission in Jesus' day. And I say it was an incredible and radical mission for two reasons. First, to the religious people. It was a radical mission to the religious people of Jesus' day because they believed with all their heart that if you were going to be devoted to God, you're going to be in relationship with God. You had to separate yourself from anyone and everything that was not committed to God. And that was so a part of the culture, that belief and that, that idea of being separated from the sinful, from, from the unworthy, from the unholy, that it, it permeated into the life of the non-religious. And so for the non-religious people, they were so convinced, just like the religious, that no one who was devoted to God would ever willingly associate with them, let alone befriend them the way Jesus did. They just couldn't comprehend what Jesus was doing and Jesus was saying. They loved it, but they didn't fully understand it. Which is why Jesus absolutely went out of his way to make it abundantly clear to leave no doubt regarding his posture, his attitude to those who are disconnected to God. And he did so by saying many, many things. But let me give you just a couple examples of things that Jesus said to make clear, to remove any doubt about his attitude and posture to those who are disconnected from God. Here's the first one. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we read this. Jesus said, the Son of Man, referring to himself, came to seek and to save what was lost. And then in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, I love this from the message paraphrase. Jesus asked, who needs a doctor? the healthy or the sick. I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrased that. I'm here calling the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. And the reason Jesus did that is because he wanted people to know. He wanted it to be broadly, universally known that he had come to be on a search and rescue mission. And that search and rescue mission was so predominant in his life, so controlling in life, that it literally determined his every action and, and set and determined his every step. In fact, I want you to notice when Jesus called his very first disciples, I want you to see how Jesus gave the job description. I want you to see how Jesus called them, what he said, what he didn't say. And I want to do that by taking you to Matthew chapter 4. and Take a look at it. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. 
They were casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And so what we need to see there is Jesus not only called Peter and Andrew to follow him, but just as important, he said, in the process of following me, I want you to join me. I want you to join me in my mission of gathering people and bringing them and drawing them and leading them into a life-changing relationship with me. That was Jesus' call. It wasn't just to follow. It was come to follow and be fishers of men. And to those who responded to that call, those who received it, those who entered in that life, Jesus then began a process in his ministry of casting a vision for the values and the priorities of that life, the values and priorities of that relationship and that mission and that full devotion to God. And the primary way that Jesus did that was storytelling. Specifically, and we see this really in Luke chapter 15, but Jesus began to tell stories about things that everyone, every single person listening would agree were valuable. And so Jesus told stories about things like lost money and and lost possessions and lost children. And in the process, Jesus basically said, as he told the story, now, if one of those things were lost, if you lost a child, If you misplaced a wallet full of money, would that not warrant an all-out search? And the implied answer, and the answer everyone would have offered if it wasn't a rhetorical question, was absolutely. I mean, if I had lost a child somewhere along a road or a hike, if somehow I misplaced a wallet full of money, the implied answer was, well, of course, it would deserve a full-force, all-out search to recover them. And having led people that way, along the way, in his story, then Jesus dropped the hammer. Because what he made clear to those listening, he said, well, guess what? That's exactly how God feels about anyone and everyone out of relationship with him. Anyone and everyone who is separated from him because of sin. In fact, if you're not familiar with it, the stories in Luke chapter 15, I'm going to look at one this morning, just one of, the, one of the three, and I want to read it to you because here's how it goes. It begins with Jesus saying, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus said this, I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In other words, what Jesus was saying to the people in love, but very clearly, get the message. The greatest source of joy on earth, the greatest source of joy in heaven is when one who is lost is found. When those who are separated from God are reunited with God, who literally and figuratively are brought home to God. Those lost children, those lost sheep, that lost coin. But Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't just call people to the mission and invite people to the mission. He didn't just simply cast a vision for the priorities and the values of the mission. But Jesus did something that only a great teacher does. And that is he modeled the implications of the mission. He modeled the implications of what it looks like to live a fully devoted life. And to see that, I want us to look at one final set of verses from the Gospels. 
Because in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Notice that theme. We'll see it again. And then after Jesus invited himself to the home for a dinner with a notorious sinner, a man by the name of Zacchaeus, here's what we read in Luke chapter 19. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And then finally, the, the, the Mark's telling of this Levi encounter, this meeting of Jesus, here's what we read. We read, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, what does he, what does why does he eat, excuse me, with tax collectors and sinners? And I hope there you picked up the theme, this theme of Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. And here's the reason I say that, because hopefully those three verses convince you of an ongoing repeated theme in Jesus' life and ministry, his goal, his mission. And it was this, Jesus was all about not only finding, but befriending non-religious people. He was constantly on the search for people outside relationship with God. In other words, it wasn't just something Jesus did to win favor with the masses. Nor was it simply something Jesus did so he could thumb his nose at the religious establishment. Now, the reason Jesus did it, the reason Jesus hung out with men and women separated from God, and the reason he ate with them was because they mattered to him. And they mattered to him because they mattered to God. And I'm going to come back to that, that, that whole idea that you might be familiar with and yet not fully understand. Because if you read the Gospels over and over again, you see Jesus heat, eating with people. And time and time again, the religious people getting upset and saying, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Now, for you and I, when we think about eating with someone else outside the faith, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. But in Jesus' day, it was a very big deal. In fact, it was truly scandalous, and here's why. Because in that day, to eat with someone was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of friendship. And so even today, if you were being an Orthodox Jew, they would, they would have a bagel with you, but to invite you to their home, their miniature sanctuary, the mikdash miyat, to invite you to their home is a sign of acceptance. And so the reality is, that's why the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day went to great lengths to vet who they ate with. Because they definitely did not want to eat with anyone, share a meal with anyone, who they did not believe was fully committed to God, who wasn't a committed follower to God. And yet the thing we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus is he did the exact opposite. He continually, repeatedly went looking and searching for the uncommitted and then had a dinner with them, a meal with them. And the reason he did that was because Jesus told us those were the very people he came to bring back to God. That was the very reason he said that I have come. And so what we need to understand in all of this is that mission was personal to Jesus. It wasn't just something he was doing because it was the right thing to do. It wasn't something he was doing simply because it would make him popular or irritate the religious establishment. Jesus engaged in the mission 
because the mission was personal. It was about real faces, and it was about real names. It was about faces like yours and names like mine. Because the reality is, folks, no matter how good we are or how good we think we are or how good, in fact, we are, at one time or another, the reality was and is we were all tax collectors and sinners. We all were in desperate need of Jesus' acceptance and forgiveness and friendship. Now, I know for some of us, it may be, we may feel a bit reluctant to put ourselves in that category, to identify ourselves in that group. And I get that, but you need to understand, and we need to understand, that we need to put ourselves in that category because God puts us in that category. And that's why, through the Holy Spirit, Paul said these words. He wrote to the Roman Christians, he said, everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And I want you to underline two words in that. I want to talk to you about them really in reverse order. The first word I want you to underline is everyone. And the second word is that word sinned, that word that in our culture is terribly uncomfortable. And I want to begin with the second word, the word sin, because that word we translate that is translated in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, as sin directly corresponds to the Hebrew word chet. And here's the reason I share that, not because I want to, to, to you know, flex my academic muscles, but I tell you that because it's a word picture. The word chet in Hebrew literally means to miss the mark or to miss the target. Now, those of you who know I love to hunt, you know why that caught my attention, but it means to miss the mark. So in other words, in that day, if someone shot an arrow at a target, and they missed the bullseye. It was called a sin. It was said the person, if you will, that they just committed a chet. And it didn't matter whether they missed it by an inch or they missed it by a mile. It was still called a sin. Now, when we apply that word sin then to our lives, specifically to the lives God intends for us to live, God calls us to live, folks, what it means very clearly and specifically is each and every one of us are mark missers. None of us have hit the target. As Paul said, we have all missed. We've all fallen short. And we need to understand, and this is essential, we miss the mark not because of bad choice or bad uh, because of mistakes. We miss the mark because of conscious, willful choices and decisions we've made. That's why Paul refers to us through, and the Holy Spirit through Paul refers to us, not as mistakers, but as sinners. They're not just simply mistakes. They are willful, deliberate choices that we have made that have separated us from God. And what Paul makes clear, again, in verse 23 of Romans, chapter 3, is that none of us are exempt from that evaluation. That each and every one of us are sinners that we have, if you will, sinned. Now say, Jerry, that's not real encouraging, and I get that. So let me give you the encouraging part. While we are yet sinners, while we have been sinners, many of us, again, if you have asked Jesus in your life, you are no longer identified as a sinner. You are a saint. And yet the reality is, folks, Jesus' attitude toward us as sinners was the same attitude he had toward all the other sinners in his day. In other words, he wanted a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to eat with us. 
He wants to befriend us. He wants to be identified with us. And the reason why is simple, if you know the Gospels, because we matter to him, because we're valuable to him. That's why he willingly gave his life to fulfill the mission by dying on a cross. Because each and every one of us, in Jesus' eyes and mine, was worth the sacrifice. One of the most impactful movies I have ever watched, and, and you could talk to me about it after the service, I remember when I saw it, it was in 1998, and it was the movie Saving Private Ryan. Now, if you're not familiar with that movie, what it is, it's a story about how four young men, four brothers, were called up in service during World War II. And then how in the matter of a day or two, three of the four brothers were killed in action. And again, the reason that impacted me is that is a minus one, that was true in my family. I lost two uncles in basically the same day in World War II. But the reality is, folks, to, to save the family name, to preserve the family name, to make sure the family name didn't go away, to give the mother still a son, the U.S. Army called up a small group of men, Air, Air Force, excuse me, Army Rangers, to go and retrieve the last brother, a young man known as Private James Ryan. And they sent them out on this mission. And we need to understand, as you watch the movie, you discover that these men went at a tremendous personal risk. They, they, they paid an incredible personal price to be on this mission, which is why as they go through the movie over and over again, the kind of recurring theme is one of the men looking at the other of the group and saying, this guy better be worth it. This guy better be worth it. In fact, after the first member of that group is killed by a German sniper, the captain of the group, played by Tom Hanks, said this. They're sitting in the church late at night, and he says to the sergeant with him, he says, this kid better go home and cure cancer or invent the longer-lasting light bulb or something because I wouldn't give 100 Ryans for one Carparazzo. In other words, what he was saying is, Ryan better be worth the sacrifice. Ryan better be worth saving. Because doing it is coming at a far too great a price for me. And we can identify with that, can't we, in our own lives? I mean, we've all said it. This is costing too much. This isn't worth it. I would never do this again. But what I want you to understand is that thought never, ever crossed Jesus' mind. Even as he was being abused, even as he was being mocked, even as he was being beaten, even as his hands were being pierced by nails and being nailed to a cross, even as he struggled to breathe, that thought never crossed Jesus' mind because in his mind, our rescue, your rescue, was worth the price. And so no matter what price he had to pay, no matter what suffering he had to go through, folks, it was worth it to him to save you, to save me, to save the world from the sin that separates us from God. And because we are worth that much to Jesus in his mind, in his heart, and to the Father, Jesus didn't just devote his life to the mission and then kind of wipe his hands and said, well, I guess I'll leave it at that. No, after his resurrection, before his ascension, he turned to his disciples, his followers, and he said to them, 
speaking not only to them, but all who would come after them. And he was said, in essence, I want you individually and corporately. In other words, as the church that is yet to be born, to make the mission primary, to continue to fulfill and carry out this rescue mission that I have begun, or as most of us know it today, to continue to carry out the Great Commission. Because after all, that's what his life mission was all about. And after all, folks, that was the ultimate goal and greatest expression of his devotion to God. So how could it not be the ultimate mission for our life and the ultimate expression of our devotion to God? And so rather than simply seeing the mission as one of the many things and good things that we do as a church, folks, we need to see it as the primary thing that we are to do as a church. And then in light of that realization, folks, we have to continue to ramp up our commitment and our engagement into finding and befriending the people in your sphere of influence and mind, the people in your world and mind who are disconnected from God. Because Jesus clearly modeled for us that that is the ultimate mission of the fully devoted life. And he modeled for us, folks, that is the ultimate expression of the fully devoted life. And in doing that, Jesus said, we will bring glory to the Father. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Folks, one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture for me is Romans 3.23 that we already looked at that says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. The reason I say that's one of the greatest verses in the Scripture for me is because I don't know, I cannot think of a single verse in the Bible that is more validated by human experience than Romans 3.23. Because if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest about the world that we live in, folks, we recognize that we all have fallen short. We've all missed the mark. And without the help of God's Holy Spirit working in us and enabling us, none of us can live up to our own standards, much less God's standards. But the good news is, though no matter what we've done, no matter what we've become, God loves us and wants to give us a second chance. And that's why he sent Jesus. So that just like Levi, we can accept Jesus' invitation not only to friendship, but to forgiveness. And so this morning, in the quietness with our heads bowed, if that's what you know you need today, to accept Jesus' invitation of friendship and forgiveness, then I invite you to pray something like this. You don't have to pray these words, but this is just a guide. Just pray, say something like this to God in your own heart. Just say, God, thank you for caring so much for me. Thank you for loving me so much. And I just admit to you today that I have missed the mark many, many, many times in my life. I admit that I've sinned. And so I ask you for your forgiveness. And I ask you to not only forgive me, but to come into my life and to change my character and change my conduct so that I can become the person you created me to be, the person you know I can be, you want me to be. I'm going to give you just a few moments 
to just pray that prayer, to say those things to God in your own words. Now, with our heads still bowed, you're praying, just keep on praying. But with our heads still bowed, I want you to know if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And I say that not because of wishful thinking on my part. I, I say it because of the authority of God's word, because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words. He said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And what being saved means is both acceptance and forgiveness. In other words, in this moment, God has wiped the slate of your life clean and so has given you not only a fresh start, but just as important, a fresh and new mission, a new life mission, a new expression of what it means to be fully devoted to Him. Heavenly Father, I thank You for making us individually and corporately as the church a part of your mission. But even as I say that, I realize there is an incredible, credible responsibility with it. Because you have no plan B. Which means if we as the church do not make it our number one goal in life, the number one goal of our devotion to you, to connect those who are disconnected from you back to you, then the probability is they'll never know your acceptance. They'll never experience your forgiveness. And so, Father, as we close out the message this morning, I simply ask you on my behalf and on behalf of this congregation to fill us with so much concern so much compassion for others that we are willing to move beyond the boundaries of our current friendship circles and our comfort zones and begin in an ever-increasing way to build relationships and bridges of friendships with those who are disconnected for you. Because Jesus, that is what you modeled for us. That is what you said was your mission. That is the great commission you gave us as a church. So I pray and I ask you to fill us with passion and commitment and engagement with the great commission. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we looked at how Christ went out and he found the lost. He did his finding. He went out and he invited and he called. And he also um, brought those for the first time to him. Maybe today you made that commitment for the first time today. Or maybe you reunited yourself back with God today. And for the rest of the church, where are you at in your commitment to the mission? Have you made a commitment to the mission? I encourage us to get a little vulnerable this morning. As we pull back out our connection cards, I encourage you to write in this space on the back where you are at. Did you make a commitment today to the mission? What does that commitment look like? Maybe you reunited with, with God today. Maybe you made the decision to 
leave your sin and follow him. We want to partner with you to give you resources to help disciple you through these decisions that you have made today. That's what the church is here for. I also want to just draw attention to our welcome desk out there where you can find additional resources. If you are a first-time guest, there is a book out there for you that you can pick up as well. And as always, it's a privilege to give back to the church, to his mission. You can give both online with the give link, or there is envelopes in the pews, or you can do your giving online through the website as well. Connection cards, giving envelopes can be placed in the box right in the back here, beyond the pews. And we would invite you back next Sunday for both services, 9 and 10.30. And we hope that you have a blessed afternoon. You're dismissed.